0: This is the PMP Industry Insider Podcast.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome out to another episode of the PMP Industry Insider's Podcast, where we look at what is changing in the industry, and we take you to the front lines to those that are making those changes in the industry. As always, my name is Donnie Shelton, owner of Triangle Home Services, which holds Triangle Pest as well as Triangle Lawn as well as CEO of Coalmarch, which is a digital and sales marketing services organization for the home, past, and lawn industries. With me, as always, is the highly educated, highly esteemed Mr. Dan Gordon. Dan, would you like to say hello and introduce our topic for today? Sure. Hello, everyone. Dan Gordon, PCO bookkeepers,
0: PCO M&A specialists, and um, uh, podcast uh, guru, uh, (laughs) along with uh, Donnie. And... uh, (laughs) Today, we're, uh, we have a very special guest, and we're going to talk about how to develop a culture of execution. It's, uh, it's one of Donnie's favorite topics, because I know that uh, he's constantly trying to uh, better that, and as, as we all are in our organization. So, uh, Donnie, why don't you introduce our guest today?
1: Well, I cannot be more excited that we have the Tony Massey with us, joining us today. I, am, I will tell you, I'm a fan of Massey. I'm a fan of Tony. I have watched him from afar. And, you know, I've mentioned this on the podcast several times and Tony, I hope I hope that you've at least heard us where I talk about how much I am impressed with how well Massey executes. And so uh, Tony is with us today. Tony, uh, you know, he's gotten started in the pest management industry from the ground up. He started when he was 16. He was a termite tech for Terminex, um, where he continued to work during the summer vacations. He's got his bachelor's degree in corporate finance as well as investment management from the University of Alabama. Uh, And then he joined joined Massey Services as a manager trainee in 1989. Uh, Since then, he's worked his way up through the company. And in 2004, Tony was promoted to the position of executive vice president and COO. In 2006, he was promoted to president. And in September 2021, Tony was promoted to president and CEO, where he is responsible for all company operations for Massey including residential and commercial pest prevention, termite, landscape, irrigation, as well as Massey's new construction division. In addition to ops, Tony also oversees finance, HR, marketing, customer care, sales, and business development, as well as quality assurance teams. Tony's also active in nonprofits throughout Florida. He serves on the professional pest management PPMA board of directors. And in 2012, Tony was recognized by the pest control PCT Magazine, as a Crown Leadership Award winner. And with that, Tony, I cannot thank you enough. Welcome to our podcast.
2: Good morning, how are y'all?
1: We are doing great. Good, good, good. Doing fantastic. This is gonna be great. Yeah. Well, let's get into execution. Dan, do you wanna lead us off with the first question here?
0: Sure, so obviously, execution is something that we all strive for. It's easy to make a plan. It's, it's difficult to execute it. And, uh, one of the things that, uh, Donnie said is, you know, I've been watching Massey for, from afar for, I don't know, 25 years as well. And one thing that they can do is execute. And, and we've been down to visit several times and, and it's, it's pretty clear why they do, but, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, what do you, Tony, what do you believe that the critical elements in developing this culture of execution? What, how, how do you guys do it and, and, and other guys can or might not do it as well?
2: Um, well, first, thank you for having me on. Um, you know, when, when thinking about this, the problem you tend to run into is it, it, it turns into more of a philosophical kind of conversation. And uh, personally, I don't think that does anybody any good. Uh, uh, great uh, you know we had some uh, philosophy thrown around but uh, so in an attempt to codify it and and such I guess execution can be broken down into three specific categories of how we deal with it Uh, the first is accountability the second is communication and the third would be transparency and It's it's in those realms that I probably could get some more concrete answers around on our execution strategy.
1: You know, let's let's go to that. So I one of the things I have noticed is that, you know, and I am guilty of this. I've gotten better at it as I've aged. But, you know, we go to a conference, we go to the business meeting, we get super excited about something. And we get back and the ideas and the thoughts kind of get put to the wayside. And, you know, one of the things that I mean, I think most folks on the podcast kind of know my story, right? I, I started at the very beginning. I mean, I was the I was the CSR. I was the, I was the termite tech, pest tech, you know, you name it. I did it all. But, you know, this whole idea of building my or, you know, working my way out of a job. And what I mean by that is like replacing myself in different areas of the business. Let's talk about accountability, you know, and bringing visibility into, you know, at, at the end of the day, I don't think anyone comes to work wanting to be mediocre. And so, how do you create the clarity for folks to truly execute? in their role? I mean, obviously, you know, there's a frontline folks, but just kind of all across the organization, because I can tell you, I am always impressed when I come to Florida and I'm I'm, I'm around Massey and I look at what you guys do. Let's let's start there with accountability. Um, Thoughts on that?
2: Uh, Okay. Again, uh, uh, non-philosophically. And the problem is you have to start in a very unglamorous and (laughs) untrendy way. Uh, And that is to spend nights and weekends drawing up a job description for each person in your company. Um, We are a firm believer that if you can't write a job description for it, it's unnecessary. Uh, You know, and so even when we want to put different place uh, people in places and so on and so forth, there needs to be a job description. We start with some simple things like what is the responsibilities of the job? and responsibilities mean uh, uh, you know, using the term in it is you're responsible to make sure it happens. Then you have the duties of the job and that is what you are specifically assigned to do. Um, so everyone in our company has that, everyone understands it, I, including myself. I have a job description as to what I am responsible for and what my uh, specific duties are. Uh, then we move on down to our policies and procedures. And so, obviously, years and years ago, it started, but everything in our company has a policy or procedure behind it on how we want it handled. Um, it used to be we would get as specific as to what size paperclip, but we've gone a little beyond that now. <laughs> so, um, But it really does. uh, It helps everybody. So as we change certain things, we have to make sure what other policies and procedures we're touching. But everybody can go online and see how is that supposed to be handled. What do we want accomplished? And we always refer back to our policies and procedures as to how it is uh, is going to happen, how it should uh, um, react. Uh, how it should proactively deal with things and such. Um, so in teaching, um, the best way I can describe policies and procedures is our regional managers who have, uh, our service centers reporting to them, their job first and foremost is to teach and enforce policy try to get everybody doing the exact same thing and our example is always McDonald's french fry fryer is always on the left hand side and that way everybody knows where it's supposed to be why it's there and they're cooked for fries are cooked for the exact amount of time and so on and so forth that's our policies and procedures uh, let me let me final on that uh, it, it it is a boring thing to write a policy and procedure <laughs> I, I am well aware of it um, so what you try to do is you try to not say i'm going to write a policies manual what you try to do is say okay let me take some item we do and let me just use for example collections so how do i want our staff dealing with our collections and start writing that out just start writing it out and add to it as you go add to it as you go and then suddenly you now have a policy on how collections are handled in your company if you ever tried to sit on that, now our policies manual is probably over 1,500 pages uh, if I if I printed it out uh, and such. So there's no way to write one like that. It's just take a definitive thing on how. And when you get a procedure, how do I want a residential pest service performed? Let's just write that out. Let's determine how that is going to be done. The third, so, yes.
1: Go ahead. Go ahead. I'll let you finish out.
2: Okay. The third element that we add to that now, this is the accountability. So everybody knows their job and it's in the job description. Everybody knows the policy and procedure of how it's supposed to be performed. Now we go to the root of our business and and that's our budgeting. Um, so to budget a company, we bottom up budget. Uh, so three times a year, we are uh, sitting in a room with our uh, regional manager and regional vice presidents uh, proposing their budgets that were done in each office by person brought on up. But to have any meaning to that, you have to say, what are we trying to accomplish? With that, we create operational standards. So how are we going to use the 100 pennies in a dollar? So the, 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 the pennies represent, of course, percentages, but we just say, okay, how many do we want to spend on uh, m and How do we want to spend on, how much do we want to spend on vehicles? How much do we want to do on this? Those are all our operational standards. And we update those once a year. This is what we're going to go do. The second is our P&L standards. What kind of profit margin do we want to make? What kind of profit conversion? Uh, profit conversion, of course, is every excess dollar of revenue. How much are you converting to profit? Um, The term growing broke can actually occur. The more money you do, the the less profit you make. So we want to make sure we have a good profit conversion. We have our productivity standards. And this is what we teach in our company from productivity. Um, I try to view our industry as uh, a lot like a doctor, a lot like a lawyer. We sell professional time. And what we do is we need to charge for that time. So we need to understand how much time it's going to take. Uh, we send a professional to a commercial establishment. We send a professional to a, to a home and such for X period of time. And thus we charge for that professional's time on property. So we know exactly how long it should take to do a quarterly pest service on an average home, how long it should take to do uh, Um, a baiting install how long it should take to do uh, a a lawn treatment we have to know because we're charging for our time so our productivity standards are all based on time so the best way to do that is to take a stopwatch and literally go out and perform a service and perform another one and perform another and just an indication that everybody can understand uh, we use right now our standard is eight minutes for all the necessary and a sundry paperwork, uh, iPad customer communication on any given property. So the minimum we could be on a property without performing any service is eight minutes to accomplish what we need to. That's done just by time and motion studies. So we take all those standards, our operational standards of the hundred pennies and a dollar of how we're gonna account for everything, our P and L standards of how we wanna grow, what we wanna do, our sales growth, et cetera, our productivity standards we lump all that together and we produce our budgets so everybody now has a job description of they know what they're supposed to do every day our policies of how they're supposed to do it every day and budgeted goals of this is what we want to accomplish as a company and it was bottom up so our people came up with that budget and we've approved it and they've agreed to it that's in essence our accountability
1: no, I I love it. And just, just to recap for our listeners here, there's there's the accountability side being very, very clear on what it is that you need to produce. It's your duties, then it's how you do it. And then, I, I mean, just to translate a little bit here, most people call it KPIs. You guys call it pr- productivity standards. That's all time-based. And then bottom-up budgeting, that's something that I think a lot of folks probably are not familiar with. But just one point I want to make, and this is more for listeners who maybe i would say two million and lower in in revenue oftentimes when i talk about this because it's such a critical point i mean you you guys have multiple branches in multiple states it's a very complex i say i don't know i can only imagine that it's a very complex business there's different state issues those types of things but you got to be able to scale and if you're listening to tony massey right now talk about procedures and kpis you know, and you're like, well, I don't know that I have time for that. That just goes to show how critical and essential that is. But one one thing I want to just spend a little extra time on. Can you just describe what the bottom up budgeting looks like? I, I've obviously been to Massey. I've, I've seen how you guys do some of this. But I think for our listeners, that would help out a lot because it's kind of a different concept. It's not I would say I, it's not very common that you see bottom up budgeting in our industry. Uh, can you just spend a couple minutes on describing what that is, maybe just briefly?
2: Sure. Um, our general managers, uh, some people would refer to them as a branch manager. Our general managers uh, sit, there's a budgeted computer program, obviously. They sit down uh, with each salesperson, they sit down with their service managers through each technician, they sit down with their office manager for collections and so on and so forth, and they create a budget as to what they're going to accomplish over the next trimester. So everything is done by person, by truck, in essence, um, and uh, and each person in our company then signs off on basically, and I say signs off theoretically, but signs off on that's what I'm going to go accomplish. So I'm going to sell this amount of business, I'm going to produce this amount per month, I'm going to do this. These are my goals, and so on and so forth. That is then reviewed and approved by our regional managers and all the way up, and then. Once every trimester for about three weeks, we sit in a room and they, the executive staff and myself are presented our budgets. We go through each office's PL, We go through each of its operation um, results, uh, performance of cancels, skips, et cetera. And we approve uh, by person in our company uh, what we're going to accomplish and how we're going to do that. So it really gets the buy-in from the lower level because each salesperson basically told their manager and it was approved. This is what I'm going to accomplish over, you know, for this month, this month, over the next trimester. That's so,
0: so Tony, it, it, seems like a very rigid process basically what you're doing is bottom up you're building a building right and you're putting in the foundation you're using all the materials and everything else and so in our industry it works really well and then you look at uh, like high tech and they constantly want folks to have ideas and input and whatnot how do you resolve that like how how do you innovate if everything's really rigid that way with good reason. I mean, you're going to get to where you want, but do you want people to innovate or how does that work?
2: I think that that probably comes uh, in my, my second uh, category of execution under communication. Uh, The budgeting process is extremely rigid because we have all our standards set. So uh, remember we do this on a trimester basis. And so Let's let's switch for a second to the communication aspect, I think, and uh, we'll start with um, the fact of one, uh, I am a firm believer that no money is made in corporate. We are nothing but an expense. So um, I I personally travel for three weeks out of every month to our offices uh, on a minimum basis. well, one, yes, so I can get all the points at the incredible hotels, but that is just because really, if you want to know what's going on in your business, it's, it's happening out in the offices and out in the field. I mean, that's what's happening. So our budgeting process, although very rigid, the communication aspect of following up and getting out there and talking to our people and finding out and auditing in our offices allows us to adjust on a trimester basis. Now some people could say why not do it quarterly yes remember i already mentioned we we spent three weeks doing budgets we'd spend our entire lives budgeting we've even considered maybe going to twice a year from the budgeting process once a year i think is too long of a period of time and then that goes to your question because if we learn something out in the field we've already budgeted for the year we can't adjust on the next bu- next budget we, we can't uh, have a technician say, listen, you've allocated X period of time. And now I'm gonna give you a perfect real world example to this. We said that a quarterly pest service should take 40 minutes of time. And that's our standard on it. Now, being a realist, that means some could take 35 minutes, some could take 45 minutes. Remember, we're using averages. Well, we were auditing, uh, a technician had been with us about 18 years one time, and we're looking through the invoices. We're trying to figure out why is he only spending about 21 to 22 minutes on these quarterly accounts? We have a problem here. So at the end of the day, we called him on in and we were discussing it. And um, he got a little defensive with me. I'm not going to lie. But he said, Tony, what do you want me to do? He said, there is no more property. These are zero lot lines. Okay. You know, I've got about 10 feet between houses. There's nothing else I can do on this property. So if you want me to be there for 40 minutes, I can sit in my truck out front and waste time. And it never dawned on me that part of our protocol had going away from the foundation of the home up to 20, 30, 40 feet, et cetera, you know, into the swing sets in the backyard and so on and so forth. These houses didn't have that newer development areas because of the cost of land, you know, the houses are stacked. But sitting in my office at corporate, that wouldn't have dawned on me. It was him saying to me, you know, listen, I'll drive you to these areas. I'll do the service with you. I'll show you, I can't spend any more time. So then we changed our our productivity standards to include basically lot size. And so now a quarterly service on a zero lot line property could take 20 minutes of time. So it, those are real world examples of getting out there and finding out and then adjusting for the next trimester where we put our new standards in place as to how we want to accomplish that.
0: Excellent. So. Uh... A lot of time uh, out of the office and how do you how do you find the time to do all this if you're on the road for three weeks uh, each month it, it it seems you know uh, I guess when you're in a hotel room by yourself you you find time to, to work or whatever but how do you how do you make it all uh, you know uh, how do you deal with the work-life balance and uh, you know make that all happen
2: Fair question. Um, well, one, I, I always travel with some of our executives. Uh, the reason being, if I'm seeing it, they should be seeing the exact same thing. And vice versa. Uh, that way, uh, you know, I'm actually seeing right then and there, the same thing they're dealing with. Um, so when we go to most offices, um, the auditing process and the watching process is mainly done by our COO, or by one of our senior vice presidents, uh, I'm nothing but a spectator. And what we tend to do is then sit down at, at the end of the day and we you know have a little get together and so on and so forth and find out. And then uh, once a month we have debriefing meetings where we will come on in and that's the, kind of the week I'm back in the office. We, we debrief over what we've learned, what we need to do, what we need to work on, what we need to change. And that kind of keeps everybody on the same page. So if we travel as a team we all see the same thing we all at that day's end or during that week at some point or during some flights or during sitting in an airport or something we work on you know what did we learn what are we going to do what do we need to adjust and how do we need to go about doing it and uh, and then when we get back to the office typically on fridays and we're typically here mondays uh that's what we that's what we go to work on
0: so this is kind of an interesting question. So, so you're really, you know, looking under the hood and, and maybe seeing some things that you want to see, seeing some things that you don't want to see, but uh, have you ever been asked some questions that you don't want to answer, couldn't answer? And how do you handle that?
2: Uh, well, uh, uh, we uh, may be a little bit different. Um, I, I personally uh, tr- try to get up in front of all of our team members at least twice a year. Um, but while I'm traveling and in that process, uh, all questions are open. Um, you, you know, I have taken questions involving sports, politics, uh, economic issues, so on, so forth, anything. And, and really nothing is off the table. If, if for some reason, uh, let's say confidentiality, I can't mention it right now. I'll let them know that and such, but I think people want to know not only, and I say this modestly, not only where I stand, but where we stand. And so if you're open and you don't mind standing in front of them, I mean, I've gotten all questions. uh, Example, uh, I've had questions about the border wall. I've had questions, uh, you know, about legalizing marijuana. I've had questions about, uh, you know, uh, what kind of watch I wear and so on. I mean, everything is open. and, And that. They get to see not only a human side, but they get to understand where I'm coming from and where our executives are coming from if we do that in an open and uh, honest thing. Now, I do joke with people, uh, you know, there's no such thing as a stupid question uh i don't agree with that there are stupid questions (laughs) definitely (laughs) but uh but you know but you know our people laugh and they joke and uh they feel a a better connection (laughs) when they get to ask me something that is a little outrageous i'll give a good example the other day and uh this was interesting to me i had somebody ask me um why don't we celebrate juneteenth and um, I know the context and what they were asking is why don't we have a paid? Holiday? That is an interesting one. Why don't we have a paid holiday for Juneteenth? Is what <laughs> in essence they were trying to, I think, ask me. But you know the answer is very simple. We do celebrate Juneteenth. We just don't take it as a paid holiday, nor do we President's Day, Martin Luther King Day, so on and so forth. But we celebrate them, um, and. Uh, sure. I think it was interesting to watch them think. You know, you're right. We can celebrate things. That doesn't mean everything's a paid holiday. I mean, you know, we don't work with the gov for the government. Yeah, you know, I mean, where they get what a you know, three weeks off or something to that effect. So, right.
0: right. So before, uh, so so you mentioned that there's a third category and it's transparency, and it sounds important in your relationship with your key members. What are some of the examples of transparency?
2: Our company is a little different so uh, in, in than some, not all. Um, we obviously, we publish all our reports. Uh, that was one of the first things that was implemented uh, in 1985 uh, when my father bought the company. We publish all our P&Ls uh, to our offices, all their reports and so on and so forth. Transparency is about looking at the good, the bad, the ugly, and the opportunity. Um, and and it's okay. So we publicly discuss a lot of our issues. Um, and it, it develops a little bit of a thicker skin, I guess. Uh, but it also develops a concept where we don't want to treat anybody like a mushroom. Put them in a dark closet, throw some manure on them, and hope they grow Um, You know, live out in the open, live with the the, the results that that are being produced. And and, and we all need to understand they're our results. So although sometimes a general manager may feel like, you know, it's coming down on them a a little bit harsh or or it's uh, embarrassing, it needs to be understood that, you know, the COO has accountability in that. I have accountability in that and such. And that transparency is wide open. So if our entire company knows, everybody's going to see what you're doing, good good or bad. That's just the way it is. And then the question is, what are we going to go do about it? What are we going to go work on? How are we going to fix it? How can we help? And um, we feel that that transparency of what's going on allows a lot of Um, people working together. I I learned years ago, the last thing anybody wants to do is call their boss and say, let let me tell you, I, I, you know, uh, I think I really messed up or what do you think I ought to do about this and so on and so forth. They would rather call a peer and say, what would you do about this? So if you're open, everybody sees your results. So somebody is likely to come by and say, Hey, here's what I did about that when it was happening to me, or here's what I think we ought to do with that, and so on and so forth. And it adds a little more comfort level that others have been there before and others are helping you.
0: So, a lot of people talk about open book management and whatnot, and, and it depends on how far you want to go. So, you post all your profit and losses. Uh, do the technicians see it? Like, what if they don't understand how to read a P&L? A lot of, a lot of times you hear, well, the, it, it, at the, the lowest level, they, you know, don't really get it. So they think, you know, you're making a million, you're, you're charging a million dollars, so you're making a million dollars. Or do you have educational?
2: How, how do you get get through that? Or do you? We, we do. We, we actually, we have we we have numerous classes on how we're going to read the P&L and how to look at it and how to understand it. And each uh, office is covering their P&L with the technicians, with the salespeople so that they can see. Um, you know, there, there's no shame in this and understanding. For example, a pest account. Uh, the people that make more money on any pest account is a pest technician. Uh, they make more money than anybody else on it. And they need to understand that and such. And to see where all the pennies are going and to understand when the profit margin is this, understand you've also got a corporate overhead and such. Uh, sales people need to understand it because of course, if you ask sales just give me more leads. Well, you, you want us to take 10%, 15%, you know, where's it gonna come from and such? We spend a lot of time making sure our people understand what our p looks like, how to read it, how to understand it, and, and then they can offer advice accordingly. Um, you know, They can give great suggestions
0: so i I've, I've been doing this for a long time my whole background is finance and i've never heard what you just said is brilliant it's hey you know if your labor percentage is 22% or so or whatever you're making the most money in the company on that PL. uh so you know don't look at hey there's a bunch of fat cats up top your your pennies as you put it are the, are, are the highest in the company that that that's absolutely brilliant i, I love it um, Donny is having a little bit of technical difficulties. Donnie, can you hear us? I know that, that you were having a delay before. Are you there? Okay. Well, I can't see him. So let's uh, move right along. Um, this has been outstanding. I love the, the three-prong approach and um, it's, it's simplicity. And um, it's all about execution as opposed to the philosophies, which a lot of people like to, to, to uh, move in a philosophical way. Um, can we switch gears? I want to talk about something that's on everybody's mind, and that's the economy and what's going to happen with the industry and with MA and you know, where does Massey uh, uh, fall out in in, in 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 all of this, uh, what's your take on the economy right now? What's your take on recession and, uh, you know, the effects on our industry? We've been through this before and people say we're recession resistant. What what, what do you think?
2: Uh, What's my take is is a wide open conversation there. Um, Let's start with a few of uh, number one. We, We always need to remember that anyone pretty much under the age of 35 has no idea what inflation means. Uh, they've never lived through it. They don't understand it. Uh, frankly, uh, most people under 35 think a mortgage rate at you know six, six and a half, seven percent would be outrageous. Uh, where all of us uh, have a tendency to think well, that wasn't a bad rate. I was pretty happy when I when I got that rate for my first home or second home or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, let's start with a, a few items, and I'll, I'll, I'll try to be very brief. Um, We are not the largest, but we do buy somewhere around five to six hundred vehicles a year. April of last year, uh, we were having trouble like everybody else uh, getting uh, our orders for vehicles filled. And we were talking to some of the major auto manufacturers and they said, don't expect it to get any better before late 2023. So Dan, it was last year in April that we knew inflation was not going to be that lovely term. Let me go ahead and use it: transitory. Um, that that was that was some lie somebody came up with because it, it wasn't even close. Uh, and and if again, this was April last year. The, the auto manufacturers knew it wasn't going to be transitory. They knew nothing, and they have supply chain. They understand it. Um, so we we started looking at it and, and planning and playing and such. Now with inflation and understanding the mental um, awareness uh, and and cognizance of, of an inflationary period, we knew we were going to go into a recession. Uh, they're saying next year, I think it probably might come before that and such. Uh, now that's going to put some pressure on us as an industry. Um in what we're not used to having to do. So I'll try to the best of my ability to give you just a, a little bit of advice, and that is, in inflation, cash is king. Uh, cash is everything. Uh, you know, people stringing you out 90, 120 days, two years ago didn't matter because the dollar today was as good and 90 days from now. It's still worth a dollar, basically. When inflation is kicking in 120 days from now, if you're getting paid in 120 days, you're working on 94 and 95 cents on the dollar. Cash is king. So Mm -hmm. we have shifted everything to do a few items and that's one, go really strong on working on our collection policies. The second is analyzing each customer and making sure uh, that each customer is profitable to us. And the third, making sure what we sell, we follow our rate cards, and the business is profitable. And I know that sounds real easy, but when times are good and the and the sales are coming in and everything else, you have a tendency to let things slide. Right now, you know, you know, a customer will stay with you with you if you take 10 dollars off or something to that effect. We're drawing the line on it and saying no, no. Uh, it is what it is right now. Uh, you know, a renewal. Uh, termite renewal is a great example. Um, you know, let's say it's a $200 renewal and the customer said, listen, I, I, I just can't pay, well, would, would you do 180? And we would take the renewal in some cases, and probably most cases. Now, can't do it. Just simply can't. So uh, we've adjusted and moved our business to cash is king. Now, final aspect you want to ask what, I, you know, a lot of people talk about our industry as recession, I guess, proof. Um, no, I don't think we are. um, I think we could all look at 2007, 2008 and say, we may have fared better than some companies, but we felt it, you know, when the housing market stops, we feel it when, you know, when the middle class gets pinched, we feel it. And, uh, you know, we don't feel it in the upper class. We don't feel it in the upper middle as much, but we definitely feel it in the middle class. And so you got to look at your customer base and you got to look at where it is and you got to say to yourselves, where am I at risk? And because if inflation stays around, which I think it's going to for a little while, we're going to start feeling it. When people have to make a decision whether they're gonna keep this service or keep that service or put food on the table, we know where it's going. And uh, not doom and gloom, by the way, this is not let's all go huddle up in a corner and suck our thumbs, but um, right now with the cost of fertilizer, and uh and donnie you're in the lawn business if he's if he's still on
1: um i'm i'm with you guys i'm i'm actually this is funny i'm i'm calling i'm actually doing this podcast from my phone now which is interesting so but we're making <laughs> it work so, we're there. So, so great okay good all so, right
2: we're good. so one of the things that uh some consortiums uh for uh, some of the major growers are saying right now is if you think food prices are high now wait till September and October when we harvest this crop add to what we had to pay for that, Um, you're really gonna see food prices go up.
0: So I think we're in it for the long haul. We're in it for, yeah. One one of the things that uh, from 2008, 2009, which as an industry, I don't know, uh, depends on how you look at it. We got lucky because of bed bugs, right? So that was when that started to come around, you know, General Motors is filing for bankruptcy and we're, you know, having our issues, but we're not filing for bankruptcy. Do you think we need a catalyst like that again this time or will it not be as bad? How, how do we get through this one?
2: Uh, I think we're gonna need some sort of catalyst. Yes, I, I, I you know, I, I, I won't say it's, it, again, doom and gloom. I think that leads a lot of opportunities for people. Uh, I think what it, it gives a, a good time right now for everybody, instead of blowing and going, this is where you get to really sit back and you get to analyze yourself and really start honing it and, 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 and really kinda uh, getting right down to every little edge that you're looking at as to how you want to compete. And, 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 you know, this has a tendency also to, to weed out the weak. And, and I hate to say it that way, but it's not just in our industry. It's in, in any industry that, you know, when times are good, people look good and they look smart. When times are bad, that's when it really gives you a time to say, what is my competitive advantage and how do we go about it? How do we go do this? I think personally, it's going to be a little bit uglier than they want us to believe um and uh, you know i've got my own political views on what's going on um i've got you know economically you know who thought we'd have ever in our lifetime another war uh, amongst developed countries i never thought i'd see that but you know right now i don't see any end in sight for oil prices um i don't see any reason that it would change. Uh, I don't see any end in sight right now for the inflationary pressure. I think, like I said, from food prices, it's only gonna get worse. Um, I, you know, airline prices are going through the roof. So that's gonna that's gonna change some things. Um, you know, and the sad news is uh, in defining inflation, if inflation is there's too much money chasing too few goods. Uh, The supply chain problem, China is not helping us at all by continuing their close downs. Of course, they're not helping themselves (laughs) either. Um, But, uh, you know, we have a ton of money in the system. And until that money moves through the system, chasing what little goods are out there, um, I think we're going to see some some serious problems with it. Final point I'll make is on recession. I think a lot of companies right now, and very few in our industry, because we kind of weathered it pretty well, but outside probably look good. And the growth numbers that they were attaining were because they were competing against COVID numbers. So, of course, there was growth. I mean, if you were in the restaurant business and you were closed and now you're open full time, Mm -hmm. your numbers look good. Um, But. You know, with the staffing problems that people are going through with everything I hear with the whining and complaining about, you know, we're only 70% capacity. I just don't think they're going to be able to continue to grow. And that's why you're going to see the recession coming in. They just can't put up the growth numbers.
0: Yep. A lot of that stimulus money, that PPP money and whatnot has all dried up and gone away. So people aren't as willing to just throw money at a problem. So it's, uh, it's going to be interesting. Uh, well, how about M&A? What, what do you think happens with M&A in our industry? Uh, you know, it's been on fire for the past, I don't know, five, seven years or whatever, even longer. What, what do you think? Where, what is, are we going to be able to buy some weaker players? So that's going to create advantages. What, what, where do you see that going?
2: I, M&A I think is still going to be extremely strong. I'll use my MBA term robust, which I can't stand that word. But uh, <laughs> it's going it's to be good for for quite a while. I, I think I don't know if the trend of going to three times, three and a half times, four times, five times revenue and so on, and so forth is going to continue no matter how many private equity people hop in the game. Um, I, I don't know if that's going to continue. I don't think it will uh, purely because interest rates. You know, if interest rates and, you know, from what the Fed is saying right now and from what we all hear and read and so on and so forth, again, you know, mortgages right now are sitting at five and a quarter to five and a half percent. You know, we start getting upwards of eight, eight and a half, nine percent, and it might. It might get there. It, it, listen, it, the, the, it, it's going to slow down some. I don't think that m and activity will slow down. I do think that those multiples will start sliding down. Mm-hmm. Now, let me give you the other is I think you're also going to find uh, you're going to find a few people that right now might have to assess. Um, do uh, you know, I, I, I'm I'm getting older, uh, as we all are. I'm looking at a changing world. Do I want to go through this fight? Do I want to do this again? i've been through it you know 15 times in my life this is you know just coming out of covid which no one in our lifetime thought we'd see now we're going into a massive you know problem and so on so do i want to go through this again and i think you're going to see some people say no uh i I, it's time i just i don't want to get in the ring anymore and i get that i really do and uh, honestly can't blame them (laughs) right 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 you know
1: Interesting. Very interesting. Tony, we could probably talk all day. I know you don't have that kind of time, but I just want to thank you for joining (laughs) us on our podcast. And for our listeners, this was an interesting experience for me. I was able to listen to most of it, but obviously I was not uh, as talkative as usual, which I'm sure Dan is very appreciative of and most likely Tony. Uh, (laughs) But I am grateful that you. Uh, Dan Dan was unbelievable, Donnie. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> but uh but i do want to thank i'm a you fan you. of yours as well tony <laughs> yeah. and uh but no i do i do want to thank you for coming on i think it's uh i, I mean these have been excellent topics and obviously you know i think our listeners are learning how you guys make the magic happen at massey as well as your thoughts I, I couldn't agree with you more as far as the recession and inflation i think you know i think we are in for a ride and i hope that we have some sort of catalyst that can help us um but you never know and i think the main thing now is to prepare and that's what i heard out of that just a reminder for our listeners we will put up some show notes on pmp industry Insider.com. if you enjoyed this episode or any of our episodes please remember to rate and review us and with that tony again thank you so much for your time we're going to sign off dan any parting thoughts before we finish out here Just yes, thanks so much for being with us tony it was a it was a pleasure
0: and a, a, a very very thought-provoking uh, conversation thank Absolutely.
2: you thank you uh if you don't mind can i give one closing thought
1: Sure. Absolutely.
2: It's always uh, reminded uh, that you to me that you even a bad plan perfectly executed will work. <laughs> so, General General Patton. <laughs> yeah, so when you discuss execution, please understand that it doesn't don't spend so much time on the plan. Look at your plan and then just go ahead and execute what you've come up with.
1: Words of wisdom, everyone. And with that, we are signing off. Great seeing everyone. Take care now. Thanks
0: so much.